Welcome Inside the Vault. This is a collection of previously unreleased lessons from eight-figure entrepreneurial mastermind Arjon Robbins. And in case you didn't see the warning label, this content can be explicit and it is for serious entrepreneurs only. In the final part from our series on business scaling, Arjon and Dre Redfern from Daniel's Head Insurance Agency teach you why the people who get you from zero to seven figures in revenue are almost never the ones who will get you to five or 10 million and beyond, and why that's perfectly okay. Let's go to the vault. Working with Arjan is like having a shortcut to future you. Every time I can have an opportunity to spend time with Arjan, I try to take it and be a sponge. I thought everyone was crazy. You know, they were running to the front of the stage to see this person. Arjun's wearing his crazy shirt. You know, he drinks tiger blood in the morning just for fun, and he's like breathing down my throat. Sometimes it's terrifying to work with him. It's like he's looking into your soul, but it's, it's growth the whole way. I think that uh, there's an element of this that we can talk about, like my experiences are different than your experiences. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we're saying a lot of the same things. I think one of the elements I, I want to bring attention to for a small law firm around scaling would be what are the frameworks that you think are the most beneficial, the start, whether that's the starting place, um, whatever that is, to achieve consistent scale, not a one-hit wonder year, but a consistent level of scaling in the practice. And I think you're credible about it because, I mean, the wall behind us is lined with plaques from Inc. 5000's fastest growing companies every year since 2015. So um, you're clearly an authority to talk on, you know, running a very successful scaling company. What does that look like framework-wise for that, for that small offer? So there's two ways to build an organization. One is with really tightly integrated controls and systems and processes. And the other is with more like looser controls and processes. The benefits of a real tightly aligned system which is intuitively where most law firm owners go, is you can change things real fast, right? Uh, the whole organization can change directions. Um, things don't fall through the cracks. Everyone's singing from the same page in the hymn book. Um, everyone's in alignment. You never have to be apologizing to anyone because one person in the organization did it one way and another person in the organization did it another way. And so you never have that embarrassing moment where you got to make apologies. Um, Instructions come from the top down. Um, This is the way the military works, right? The other approach is a much more loosely aligned policies and procedures where the, 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 the president, me, 
you spend a lot more of your time talking about why we're doing what we're doing. We spend a lot more time talking about the standards that matter to us. We spend a lot more time talking about the criteria around things. And 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 then and then you 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 give people a lot more latitude to do things and you wind up with a person over here who interpreted your why and your standards and your criteria this way and this person over here who interpreted it that way and sometimes they are compatible and sometimes there's a misalignment because you might not have made yourself clear enough and you got to go back and fix things. The benefit of that approach is you get a lot more innovation. You get the kind of people who want to come work for your organization who are independent thinkers. They tend to be much more... They, they tend to value culture a lot more, I think, in my experience. Um, and if they're operating with the criteria and standards and, uh, and, and, uh, and why we're doing things, you can leave them alone for months at a time. And as long as their decisions are all being made in, in, that are consistent with the standards and the criteria and the why, I mean, so you would have chosen red, but they chose pink. Does it really matter? I mean, you wanted something from that family of color, right? Um, if you wanted something that was fire engine red, then you shouldn't have said something from that family of color. You should have been more specific and said, this matters to me and I want it to be fire engine red. Otherwise, who gives a crap, right? But this is very difficult. You're nodding your head like this is the most obvious thing in the world. But I'm telling you, this is very difficult for lawyers in particular to wrap their head around. Why? Because lawsuits are filed over these mistakes that happen, right? Um, one person in the trucking company was supposed to do it this way. Another person in the trucking company did it that way. The documented policy or the statute or whatever specified another way. And that gap between the different understandings is where the lawyer goes to, 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 to try to find liability yep. and prove negligence or whatever in a lawsuit. And so, you know, so it's very difficult for lawyers to understand that that's really the better way to scale up a business. It's the more practical way to scale up a business. It's the more profitable way to scale up a business. And ultimately, it's in long term, the more sustainable way to scale up a business. Why? Because when you've got this command control structure where everything is locked in so tight, sooner or later, the person who's got their, who, who's in command is going to have a bad day. And when that happens, everyone follows orders and marches straight off the cliff. Not a good place. I think that um, <clears throat> one of the elements that there was a, a tough thing for me growing the companies was 
my leadership and my leadership style had to change. Uh, this may not be true for everyone, but it was different for me leading a team of one or leading a team of two than it was leading a team of 20. Uh, because the communication is different. You know, we have COVID, so the, the, the manner in which you're communicating in person versus mm -hmm. uh, virtual had to change and adapt. Um, Been there, done that. Yeah, exactly. So I think that... Doing it now still. I think it's a, it's a, we're all a work in progress with it. But I think one of the elements I'd like to hear your opinion on would be, as a small law firm owner, who do they have to be today as the leader? And then who do they, like we talked about, you know, five years from now, right. what do you look like five years from now? Who does that person look like? Obviously, there's going to be variations to it, but where should they be targeting today? And what type of leader should they be looking to be in five years if they want to continue scaling? That's a great question. And I'm going to answer a different question, though. Sure. I'll try to answer the question you asked me. In a roundabout way? In a, I'm going to try to answer the question <laughs> you asked me, but I, but I think it's more important to answer a question you didn't ask me okay. first. Because the question you asked me is a great question, but it's what I would call a kind of a theoretical intellectual question. The more practical question that I know that every small law firm owner watching this either has experienced, is experiencing, or will experience is the dynamic where you discover that the people who got you here aren't necessarily the same people who are going to get you there. Right? Yep. And the reason I'm not addressing the question you asked me is because too often law firm owners think that they can control this dynamic by growing, by learning, by changing, by doing things differently themselves. And it's important to accept that you can't. It's just how it is. The people who get you here aren't necessarily and most likely won't be the people who get you there. It's very rare to have the same group of people with you from zero dollars in revenue all the way up to a million dollars in revenue. Rarer still to have the same group who are with you from zero dollars in revenue to five million dollars in revenue precisely because of the dynamic that we're talking about here. And let me be more specific. From zero to about a million dollars in revenue. Let's just start off with zero to 250,000, zero to 500,000 in revenue for most small law firms. It's you and a little band of brothers and sisters and brethren people, right? It's we're all in the same foxhole together. You know what I'm saying? And you're having breakfasts together and you're having lunches together and you're having dinners together and maybe you're even taking vacations together and they really get to know you as a human being. Yep, been there. And they see your weaknesses, they see your strength, they see your humanity, they see your humor. 
they see you at your best, they see you at your worst, and they understand they understand your jokes. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Now the business gets to a million and a half dollars. You bring in that professional legal administrator we were talking about before. That professional legal administrator starts hiring people who you don't even know, which is good. This is a good thing. You want this to happen. Well, now these people don't know you. They know the professional legal administrator, right? And they don't know you as a human being. They just know you as the boss. And now the professional legal administrator helps you scale the business, and now it's at $3 million, $5 million in revenue, right? And now the professional legal administrator has department heads who have hired people who the professional legal administrator hasn't met, and those people certainly haven't met you. And now you walk into your, your office or you have a firm retreat or whatever, and there's people who you don't know where did so-and-so go. Looking around for so-and-so. I want to congratulate her on whatever, whatever, whatever. Oh, she left. Uh, why didn't I know about that? We, we sent around an announcement. We had a going away party. You were in Europe for a month when it happened. Your assistant sent her a gift. She wrote you back a thank you note. It's in the pot. Oh my God, I feel terrible, right? Well, but you shouldn't feel terrible. This is just how it is, right? And where are all these people? Who, who are these people? Well, this is, uh, let's say, Paula, the professional legal administrator, who hired... Dan, the director, who hired Sandra, the subordinate. You're not, you didn't meet Sandra, the subordinate. You don't you barely even know Dan, the director, right? And, and you start to become more of a, more of a figurehead. Yeah. More of a legend, like the legend of Dre, right? And, People start saying things about you that they heard from other people who didn't know you either. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. I can give a few very specific <laughs> I'd love to hear those. examples. Okay. Um, here's one example that doesn't involve me. I'll give you two examples that don't involve me and one that does. Mark McCormick wrote a book called What They Don't Teach You in Harvard Business School, which is a phenomenal book and everyone should read it. Um, one day, Mark McCormick was in the mood for a banana. He just had a taste for a banana and he asked someone, hey, can you get me a banana? Next thing you know, Mark's got bunches of bananas waiting for him when he checks into hotel rooms. He's getting banana gifts from people at Christmas. Because Mark's wild about bananas. In the book, he says, I, I just wanted a banana. I like them sometimes. It's like, I had a taste for a banana. You know? That day. Not that day. Right? Yeah. Second story. Uh, the COO of our business used to be the COO for, um, for uh, the business of uh, T. Harvecker. And at the time, they had like 200 or something employees. Har you like chocolate? Yeah. You like chocolate? 
You like chocolate? Everyone here likes chocolate? All right. For some reason, Harv hates chocolate. Just hates it. And so there was a rule that you couldn't have chocolate on the menu at any events that Harv was running. And he hated it so much that he didn't even want chocolate in the room because the smell of it just disgusted him. I mean, there are people who have, yeah. you know, strong olfactory senses. Sure. Right? So you couldn't even have chocolate in the room. You could have a 500-person event. You could have a 1,000 people in the event. He would run events with thousands of people, and no one was allowed to have chocolate because Harv can't stand the smell of chocolate. Right? Yep. You want to hear the funny thing? Harv likes chocolate. <laughs> he doesn't dislike chocolate at all. And I got this directly from the former CEO of the business, that he was there at the meeting where there was a woman in attendance of a small meeting with a small group of people, like five or six people in her little room, and she happened to have a severe chocolate allergy. And Harv said, out of courtesy to her, let's not have any chocolate on the menu or in the room because she has a severe chocolate allergy. Next thing you know, Harv hates chocolate. You can't have chocolate in a room with thousands of people. Cause, it's like and, a game of telephone. And people literally start making up this. I mean, I just made up a big, long story of bullshit about has he has highly sensitive olfactory senses and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> people make shit up to protect and defend the rumors that they hear. Yeah. Right? All right. Personal. Uh, we host about 50 live events per year. How to manage a small law firm. We've got like a five or six person full-time events team and we host about 50 live events per year. My team runs all kinds of workshops on everything. You've been to some of them. Me, myself, personally, you give me the choice to stay in a Marriott or a Hilton, I would prefer a Marriott. I just would prefer a Marriott. Same. Some people like Marriott, some people like Hilton, some people prefer Ford, some people prefer Chevrolet, some people prefer BMW, some people prefer Mercedes, whatever. I just personally, all things being equal, would prefer a Marriott. We just hired a new events director. Um, he came from the events world. And we were debriefing. And I'm letting him get to know me. And I'm getting to know him. And we're going through a list of venues that he's, chick that he's picking. And he made some comment about how he sure would love to be able to do it at this Hilton in this city because it would be better financially, whatever. It would be better. But, you know, I know we can't do that because, you know, you, you got your thing with Hiltons and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, whoa. What's that again? Say that again? <laughs> what? What? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. You, you, you don't like Hiltons. I'm like, I, I don't hate Hiltons. I don't even dislike Hiltons. I simply prefer Marriott. I do. Another example. If anything, I am guilty of letting people get away with too much shit. This is part of the reason I have to surround myself with real professional managers because I let people get away. I give everyone the benefit of the doubt. It's just how I am. Yeah. 
there has never, not once, ever been a single time in the history of this entire company where anyone has ever been fired. Just because they chewed their salad the wrong way, right? I mean, if anything, like, we give them too many chances. We give them too many tries. We give them too much coaching. We give them too much opportunities. We bend over backwards, right? And yet, there was a rumor, a urban legend, which took us about two years to mostly quash out. And I always worry that it's still there brewing, right? That you could just get fired. And for two years, I basically had to do a campaign. And this was a campaign. I had to do a campaign that if anyone, if anyone knows anyone who got fired without lots and lots and lots of tries to save them, or if you think someone might have been, or if you're worried that someone could have been, please privately contact me. I give my email address, the whole thing. We'll ask you to sign a non-disclosure agreement, and I will open up the employment file for you so you can see for yourself it has never happened. Because it never happened. It took two years to kill this. Because someone who didn't know me probably heard me make a joke or maybe they saw me on a bad day, and there's so many levels removed from me in their day-to-day operations that they just caught me on a bad day, and next thing you know, are you understand where I'm going with this? I do, yep. And, and so you asked me about how the owner of a small law firm needs to grow and evolve and change as a leader. And yes, there's a lot you can do to grow and evolve and change as a leader, and you should. But you got to understand that it's more about just accepting that the people who get you when you're little, not everyone's going to get you. And really what you need to do is protect them from you and protect you from them. you got to just... And this is part of the maturity of, yeah. of I'm not trying to get my friends from my business. I'm not trying to get my appreciation from my staff. I'm not trying to get my self-esteem from the people who work for me. I'm content to just let them be employees. And I'm content to let them just be the staff. And I don't have an emotional need for them to be on my team. I think that this is... Uh... This is a thing that I struggled with. Like the people who helped me get to seven figures the first time were not the same people that could go, like, take it to the next level. Nor do they necessarily want to, and that's the part that it, a lot of people a hundred forget. It's, uh, but I wish that I had known about that landmine earlier on because I it cost sleepless nights and emotion, like all of the sort of roller coaster that we go on for you and for them. Yep, right, because they're sitting there thinking, man, you know what? The time has come for me to bid adieu to Dre and wish him well. And I'm so happy that I was able to get you to a million dollars in revenue. 
Now I'm going to go find someone else who's at $200,000 in revenue and get them to a million dollars. And then I'm going to go find someone else who's at a, it's like, they like it's like, it. it's like the kindergarten teacher has to celebrate when the kid graduates to grade school and the high school teacher or the junior high school teacher has to graduate when the kid graduates and goes to high school and the high school teacher to college. You can't say, Oh my God, you know, you were my teacher when I was two years old and I was learning my ABCs and still wearing a diaper to school. Oh my God, how am I going to break it to her that she can't also be my teacher for 12th grade geometry? Yeah. It's a good metaphor for it. But I think it's, it's one of those elements when it came to, you know, scaling and growing, um, that what got you here will not get you there. And that's people, processes, systems. That's, I mean, a variety of things I think have to be continually innovated and improved upon. And I think the hardest element is the, is the people element. The hardest part is the people element. Uh, Hugh McLeod, uh, an yep. artist, yep. he's got a really funny cartoon that says, Rocket science, that's easy. We deal with people. <laughs> yeah, very accurate. It's the hardest part of building the law firm is the people. It's also... The most rewarding. I was about to say it's the most rewarding if you'll let go. If you'll let go and loosen your grip a little bit and just focus on the why and the standards and the criteria and empower your people with a clear vision and a good strategy and good financial controls that they can use to know whether they're, you know, where they are in their performance and good key performance indicators and metrics. It's so amazing to watch people grow. Anything else scaling-wise that you think we should touch on other than the fact that uh, you've got a book coming out later this year around scaling with Vern Harnish himself? Anything else that you want to sort of wrap yeah, up? Yeah, I was gonna, actually going to say that because I didn't want anyone to think that I was trying to hide the fact because we're talking about scaling yeah. up. Uh, yeah, so Vern, so the Scaling Up organization um, asked me to help them build something for law firms uh, 25 to 100 million dollars in revenue and 10 to 25 million dollars in revenue and because I have experience doing that from a past life and I said okay but you have to also let me build something for firms 1 to 10 million dollars in revenue and they said yes so we've got how to scale up your law firm that should be out at the end of 2023 Hope you hopefully enjoyed uh, another edition of us covering some really awesome and incredible topics when it comes to taking your law firm to the next level uh, and this uh, scaling up conversation in particular. So uh, we'll see you next time around. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Tune in next week for more lessons from the event.